Old Miss and Lane Kiffin earn a signature win over Jimbo Fisher and the Texas A&M Aggies. Oklahoma is undefeated no more after getting beat down by Baylor. And Wake Forest proves they're the best in the ACC with a crucial win over rival NC State. We'll discuss it all next. I'm Jay Smith, and this is After Further Review. For further review, a Clemson student's perspective on sports. What a personal foul on number 99 of the defense. After he tackled the quarterback, he's giving them business down there. That's a 15-yard penalty. Well, welcome in, everyone, to another edition of After Further Review. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Jay Smith, and we have got a lot to talk about in this episode of AFR. We've got a week 11 in the books. Big games played this past week. Some some really exciting matchups. And I wanted to do a podcast. I had a podcast planned. I, I had two recording attempts last late last week before uh, Saturday where I was going to try and get an episode out on Thursday or Friday and just had some technical issues with my recording software. Very frustrating, but I think I've got everything uh, ironed out. And hey, if you're listening to this podcast now, that means that I have figured out the technical issues and we are back to our regularly scheduled programming. Uh, so apologize for only having one episode last week. Certainly was not my intent. I really enjoy doing these podcasts, doing these episodes, and so uh, I'm excited to, to get back into it. But what a weekend of college football. And, and we're going to start off talking about one of the bigger games from this past weekend, obviously Texas A&M and Old Miss. This is the site of College Game Day. A lot of hype building uh, for this game in, in Oxford. You know, this was the second trip uh, for Game Day to Oxford, Mississippi. The last time they went was 2014, when Old Miss hosted Alabama, the number one ranked Crimson Tide, which Old Miss went on to beat. Several people probably remember that was the Katy Perry episode of College Game Day, one of the more iconic episodes of. Of game day that they've done, and uh, this this you know this game day was good, right? I, I watched a little bit of it uh, Saturday morning, but I still think that 2014 college game day, Katy Perry's guest picker, will go down as a top five college game day of all time. But let's talk about the game because this was a bit of a surprise for I think a lot of people, myself included. You know, going in, I really expected it to be more of a of an offensive contest, really with Old Miss's offense and how they compared and stacked up against Texas A&M's defense. This is a defense in Texas A&M that's second coming into this game, right? Second in the SEC in terms of points allowed per game, yards allowed per game, a really solid defensive team. And, you know, they're like Lane Kiffin said in his remarks earlier in the week, one of the hottest teams in the country right now when he was talking about Texas A&M. And so I was expecting, you know, hey, Old Miss's offense and and Old Miss's offense, right? They were missing uh, their top 3 wide receivers and Matt Corral has been kind of nursing an ankle injury, he's not been 100%. Coach Kiffin earlier in the week in his press conference said how he feels like it's going to be one of these things where every week he plays on it and sort of reaggravates that injury and you know, Corral, he sat out some practices the previous week when Old Miss was going to match up against Liberty, but obviously with an opponent the caliber of Texas A&M, 
you can't afford to do that anymore. So Corral was you know, at practice, getting snaps, getting reps, trying to prepare for the Aggies you know, for this big game, one of the bigger games in Oxford in several years that felt winnable, right? Because Ole Miss has hosted some big teams and, and some big uh, games, but this was a, a game that a lot of people on the Ole Miss side ex- expected to win. And I was in that camp of I think Ole Miss can get it done even with their issues on the offensive side of the ball, with the you know losing those top three wide receivers, you know you, you've lost a senior offensive lineman, right? He had a, a torn bicep, so he's out for the year. Matt Corral's got his his ankle injury, and and things were just all of a sudden not as smooth on offense as we've been accustomed to seeing from Old Miss this season. And A and M again, a solid defensive team. It was going to be a tough matchup. It was going to be a tough matchup for the Rebels. But what surprised me, coming, you know, my biggest takeaway from this game was that Ole Miss won this game with their defense. This was a defensive win. Those are the words of Lane Kiffin after the game. The two turnovers by A&M early were huge, huge momentum swings in favor of the Rebels. And listen, you know, this game was 15 to nothing at the end of the first half. And it could have been a lot worse. In fact, it probably should have been a lot worse. Old Miss had opportunities in that second quarter and, you know, they had the field goal, they got the safety, but certainly they were looking for more points and and you could you could probably say Old Miss should have been going into the halftime uh, you know, going into halftime with a lead of 21 or 24. The fact that it was still a two possession game if, you know, if if you're watching this and you're an A&M fan, you're like, "Oh, Thank goodness we're still in it, and they were able to claw their way back into this game, right? They, they come out in the third quarter, shut down the Rebels' offense, and all of a sudden we're going into the fourth, and it's 10-15 to 15 where AM has gotten themselves back into this game. Yes, it's been sloppy on both sides. You know, AM had their mistakes in the first half. Old Miss didn't execute very well in that third quarter, but coming down the stretch... The Old Miss defense was able to deliver some stops. The Old Miss offense obviously had uh, some you know, great plays as well. But really, I think what iced this game was the, the pick six, right? I mean, you're, you know, A.J. Finley, 52-yard pick six, uh, just a, a huge, huge play on defense. And that's something that Rebels fans really haven't, had the benefit of, 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 you know, I mean, it's not been something that they've been known for, right? I mean, Old Miss's defense last year, the year prior, were laughingstock of not just the SEC, but really the entire country. They were awful on defense. And now DJ Durkin, their defensive coordinator, has gotten them to a level of decent respectability. But I think this performance right here, this is a statement win for the old Miss football team and program, but also for DJ Durkin in that old Miss defense, because you know, old Miss has been playing fairly well on defense this season. Again, compared to where they're coming from, it's an improvement, but certainly, you know, with the rebels being a, a now eight and two team sort of in the mix for the top 10, uh, we'll have to see where the committee puts them uh, with these rankings coming out a little later this week, uh, tomorrow at this point. But, you know, they need to shore up some things on defense, play a little bit more consistent on defense, and they stifled Texas A&M. You know, they confused uh, a lot 
of of the A and M you know offensive guys and and Calzada Zach Calzada could not get comfortable. He could not get comfortable really until the third quarter. A and M made some good adjustments at halftime. I thought came out and played well in that third quarter against shutting out the Rebels and, and putting up ten of their own. And all of a sudden we had a ball game. We had a ball game going into the fourth quarter, but Old Miss was able to you know get an offensive touchdown and a defensive touchdown. And they were able to stretch out a nice lead and, you know, finish off with a 29-19 to victory over the Aggies. And, and now the Aggies sitting at 7-3. At and three. They're 4-3 and three in conference, uh, which is not a good place to be. You know, they had some, some hopes that maybe if Alabama were to slip up again, they would hold the tie break over the tide and, and get into the SEC championship. Those hopes are all but but gone, evaporated, and yeah, I mean, this this was really not a great offensive performance for, for A&M, even with the fact that Ole Miss's defense played, I thought, exceptionally well. Again, those, those two turnovers really killed A&M. Uh, Calzada did not have a great game, 24 for 42, only 237 yards with those two picks. On the ground, it wasn't that much better. Uh, you know, they had about, uh, they, I think they had a little over 130 yards on the ground. So it wasn't, you know, they were able to move the ball and keep Old Miss's defense honest. But I saw you know, more Rebels in the backfield than I've seen all season, really the last few years. It's been a long time since we've seen that sort of, we'll call it the land shark mentality on defense for Old Miss. You have to go back to the uh, Kim Dietschy days and, you know, the, that 2014-2015 era when Hugh Freeze was at the helm for the Rebels. So this this was a really impressive win for Old Miss because it was a defensive win. And again, those are the words that Lane Kiffin used to describe this win right after that game. He called it a defensive win. And, you know, because if, if Old Miss had come out and they had scored 45-52 points, and it was a shootout, and they won on offense, I would I would certainly say, hey, this is a good win for Old Miss. Impressive performance by Corral, right? He adds to his Heisman numbers. But it wouldn't have done, I don't think, as much to convince me, wow, this is a very well-rounded football team, or this is a football team that could start competing with the likes of Ohio State, Notre Dame, you know, maybe a Michigan State. Uh, maybe they play well against Oregon. You know, there's, there, there were still a few pieces to the puzzle that needed to be figured out. And I'm not taking anything away from what Ole Miss did on offense, and, and Corral specifically, right? Like, he had a good game. He was 24 for 37, 247 yards passing, and a touchdown. But those aren't the numbers that we're typically seeing from Matt Corral this season. Now, part of it is they needed to protect Matt Corral. They, they did that to a certain extent. Uh, there were a few people that I talked with after this, and they were like, you know, Corral, he he took off and ran a lot more than I was expecting to. And I, I sort of agree. I kind of thought Kiffin would be a little bit more conservative with Corral, especially later in that game. But, you know, either through Kiffin's decisions or Corral pushing for it and advocating, saying, hey, coach, let me run the ball, uh, that's what they went with. And it, it did keep AM honest, possibly with something they weren't expecting. And they were able to, like I said, get a huge win at home, uh, but you know, I think again the tipping point of this matchup was AJ Finley's pick six, uh, that 52-yard pick six, 
and a very impressive defensive performance against a team that is second right now in the SEC in terms of defense. You know, and again, there's going to be a lot of positive momentum off of this game. You know, Ole Miss right now second in the the SEC West. You look at the current standings for the SEC West. Obviously, Alabama sitting on top at five and one. Old Miss is four and two, and Old Miss lost to Alabama. So the Rebels would need Alabama to lose their final two games in order to win the SEC West. It, a very unlikely scenario. Uh, Mississippi State and A&M sitting both at four and three. I, I don't believe there's any way mathematically they could get in or, or win the West just because A&M, right, if, if Alabama lost their final two games and had three losses in conference play, A&M would, you know, theoretically, if they were to win out, they would have the same number of losses at three and they'd hold the tiebreaker, but obviously Old Miss is still a, a team that would be above them and they, they still only have two losses. So I don't think there's any way that A&M or Mississippi State would be able to uh, overcome both Old Miss and Alabama, but as it stands now, it's extremely unlikely that Old Miss would represent the West in Atlanta in the SEC championship game. It will likely be Alabama, you know, even if the Tide were to lose to Auburn, you got to think they'll you know, be able to take care of the other remaining conference game on the slate, which is Arkansas at home this coming weekend. Razorbacks you know, they're a good football team, solid football team. What Sam Parkman is doing in Fayetteville has been impressive this season. But as I said back in week four, week five, when they were ranked eight and went to Georgia, I said, this is not a top ten football team. This is a good football team, a surprisingly good football team. You know, Arkansas sort of came out of nowhere, uh, has, has been really bad these past few seasons. But you, you'd be a fool to think that they're going to go between the hedges in Athens and give the Bulldogs. They're not going to bully the Bulldogs, right? That, that's not going to happen. And they, they didn't score, right? Was it 38 to nothing? Uh, just beat down, a complete shutout. So Alabama should take care of Arkansas at, at home pretty handily. And then even if they drop that game at Auburn the week following, they'll, they'll still represent the West. Obviously, their college football playoff hopes would be dashed. I don't even think with a loss to Auburn, if they were to somehow find a way to beat Georgia, it it would get them back into the playoff. It's hard to say. I mean, the 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 preferential treatment we're seeing towards Alabama by the committee has really, I think, caught a lot of people off guard. I mean, I know the whole SEC bias thing has has been, you know, that it's been a thing for a long time. People have talked about it and accused the the BCS and the committee of it. But I'm, I'm surprised that Alabama has been given as much benefit of the doubt as we've seen because they've just looked so average this season, really. Uh, there's, there's hardly any impressive wins on their, on their schedule. Uh, their, their best non-conference win is against a Miami team that, you know, if you watch that game uh, where they played Florida State, uh, it you know, nothing impressive about the Hurricanes, right? There's just nothing impressive about the Miami Hurricanes uh, this season and, and, again, ultimately ended up dropping that game to Florida State. They're 5-5 five and five right now, which is still good enough 
for third in the ACC Coastal. But there's really nothing on Alabama's schedule that stands out, you know, except for the win against Old Miss at this point. Um, you know, the Florida game looks really bad, even though that was a road game. So that's pretty much it. I'd say Alabama's best win this season is at home against Old Miss. It was a three-touchdown win, 42-21 over the Rebels. Uh, but either way, it'll probably be Alabama taking on Georgia in the SEC championship game. And again, for, for the Old Miss Rebels, a huge win gets the, the Rebels to 8-2 and two overall. And they have an opportunity to lock up a 10-win regular season. That would be uh, really... You know, a huge turnaround. Huge turnaround after what we've seen from Old Miss the, the past few seasons and the inconsistency, um, you know, and, and just the ups and downs of the program, really. The ups and downs of the program since 2014. And they have to play Vanderbilt at home and then at Mississippi State. So it's very doable. It's, it's very doable. Right now, the Rebels should be thinking at worst, we're 9-3, and three, really should be finishing 10-2. and two. And honestly, if Old Miss gets a win... In their bowl game, an 11 and 2 regular or an 11 and 2 finish would be uh, that's that's parade worthy. I think if if you're an Ole Miss fan and you're in Oxford, that that right there coming off of where you were, you know, four and eight a couple of years ago, how do you not how do you not throw a parade for that, right? And, and again, I mean, just the, the turnaround we've seen since even. 2019, right? 2019 is when I was there. It was my first year there in grad school, and they were 4-8 and eight with wins against Arkansas, Southeast Louisiana, Vanderbilt, and New Mexico State. Those were the only teams Old Miss beat in 2019. What a turnaround. What a turnaround. It's not quite Baylor level, but it's pretty close. I mean, Old Miss lost to Memphis, Cal, Alabama, Mizzou, A&M, Auburn, LSU, and Mississippi State. Obviously, the Mississippi State piss-and-miss game was what resulted in bringing Kiffin to Oxford. But, I mean, yeah, look at the turnaround. Look at that turnaround. You're 4-8 in 2019. In 2020, the COVID year, you know, things are are still up and down. You, You do get a nice win in the Outback Bowl, even though Indiana had several of their key players missing. Uh, But, you know, overall, you got to be happy with how things finished, um, if you you know, compared to 2019. And then this year, 2021, has just been amazing. I mean, they have really hit their stride, and the Rebels are poised to lock up a double-digit win season, which would be, um, I think, a, a really positive thing for the program and for all their momentum moving forward. And this is their first 8-2 and two start since 2014, which, again, goes back to that Hugh Freeze era. And for A&M, you know, Jimbo after the game, he said getting down 15 to nothing uh, in the first half really killed us. Uh, just it set us up for a, a tough time in that second half. But, yeah, I, I mean, listening to what he said after the game, uh, he just said, you know, basically we put ourselves behind the eight ball, but you also have to credit Old Miss. They played a really good game. You know, they had Old Miss finish with over 500 yards of total offense. Jerry and Ely was a huge threat all night. Had 152 yards on the ground with 24 different carries. And the guy had four receptions. So he was outstanding. 
Um, you know, all all around great performance for Old Miss. A and M got to be disappointed dropping to seven and three. Definitely feels like a lot of that momentum they had with after they beat Alabama has sort of been you know it's gone, it's dissipated, and so they're going to have to try and find a way to avoid dropping you know one of their two remaining games. Uh, you got. Uh, Prairie View, so that shouldn't be a problem. And then you have at LSU, which could be tricky. It could be tricky. We, we, you know, LSU with all the the uncertainties that program is facing, it's still hard to travel to Death Valley and win. And so A and M wants to avoid possibly finishing eight eight and four after you know the, the great start that they had, obviously with the win against Alabama. All right. Let's take our first break. When we come back, we'll be talking about Oklahoma, one of the four undefeated teams going into this weekend. Undefeated no more. The Baylor Bears beat down the Sooners in a huge win for Baylor, and we'll talk about what it means for both Oklahoma and the Big 12 next. Welcome back to AFR, and thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Jay Smith, and appreciate you uh, tuning into AFR, whether you're listening to the AFR podcast, which is available wherever you listen to podcasts, or if you're watching AFR on Facebook, appreciate you tuning in. As always, let's talk a little Big 12 action. Pretty big upset uh, this weekend with the Oklahoma Sooners, the undefeated Oklahoma Sooners, dropping their uh, contest against the Baylor Bears in, in pretty decisive fashion. Really, Baylor. Uh, sort of took control of this game late, right? It was it was a very even matchup. You know, it was seven all going into the locker room at half. One field goal in that third quarter in favor of the Bears. So ten to seven, close game, tight game, and then all of a sudden in the fourth quarter, Baylor just ran away with it. A really impressive performance down the stretch. Uh, they you know put together some really nice drives. You know, two. Drives of 80 yards or more in the fourth quarter for Baylor, uh, which took about half the quarter in terms of time off the clock. I mean, yes, Oklahoma did follow that with a four-play, 75-yard drive in less than 90 seconds, but still, the the fact of the matter is, is that Baylor was able to milk the clock and continue to move the football, get a fresh set of downs, move the chains, throughout the fourth quarter and really just never gave Oklahoma a chance to respond. Uh, you know, both teams had a pair of turnovers in this matchup, but really where the difference lies is total yards. You know, Oklahoma was limited to just 260 total yards of offense. Baylor clocked in with 413. Again, able to move the ball more, had more first downs, uh, and just an overall, you know, controlled the flow of the game and forced Oklahoma to play Baylor's style of game right towards the end of that matchup. And so this is a big win for Dave Armada and the Baylor Bears, who, again, we talked about it uh, last week. You know, Baylor is a team that was 2-7 and seven through nine games last year, right? They were 2-7 and seven through nine games. Coming into this matchup, they were 7-2. and two. That's a heck of a turnaround. That's a crazy turnaround. Now they're eight and two, and while they are not necessarily getting the respect that 
you know, other two-loss teams might be getting, right? I don't think you're seeing uh, Baylor in the same conversations as like Old Miss, but they're one of the better two-loss teams in the country. I think Baylor is a serious thing. And you got to remember, too, Baylor's loss now two weeks ago to TCU, that emotional you know, 30-28 to 28 loss uh, with the you know, first game for TCU in like 24 years without Gary Patterson, it, 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 sometimes you're just going to lose those kinds of matchups. doesn't necessarily excuse the performance that Baylor had on their end, but it you know explains why TCU played as well as they did. But yeah, I mean, Baylor has been a really impressive story. And looking at what Dave Armada has been able to accomplish in Waco in such a short time span is really nothing short of extraordinary. It's been a tremendous turnaround. And again, Baylor, their only losses this season at Oklahoma State, that was a 24 to 14 loss, and then at TCU, 30 to 28. Only two matchups left are at Kansas State and Texas Tech at home. You got to think the Bears will finish the year with 10 wins in the regular season and certainly have a, an opportunity to play in a great bowl game, which if they're able to get the, I mean, 11 wins is from where you're coming from a year ago, you, you know, it's, a, it's, it's a dream. It's a dream, really. And so Baylor have, which they feel like one of the, one of the few programs that has a lot of ups and downs. Like again, ever since that RG3 era, it's sort of been, you know, I had, Art Bryles and all the issues off the field with that. And then you had Matt Rule, and they got really good. And then he left, and they were terrible again. And then Dave Armonic. Like, there's there's just so much inconsistency in Baylor. So I hope for the sake of the players and the program, Dave Armada decides to stick it out in Waco for, for more than a few years because, gosh, the the instability in at Baylor these past five, six, seven seasons have really hurt I think an otherwise good program, like an otherwise good program that, yes, you know, off the field issues aside, right, that's a whole other conversation. But but on the field, their football performance, when they're led by good coaches, which they've had great coaches, that then, you know, it, it they're obviously able to put up good product on the field and win a lot of football games, right? I mean, they're 8-2, they're in the Big 12, and they're likely going to be 10-2 by the end of the the regular season. So yeah, this is a big win for Baylor and obviously for Lincoln Riley and the Oklahoma Sooners. This this is a big blow to your college football playoff hopes. This is, you know, an Oklahoma team that was already getting disrespected to a certain extent by the committee and, and where they were ranked, you know, with, with them being eighth uh, at nine and oh. But the fact of the matter is is that Oklahoma has not looked impressive. They have not looked impressive in the majority of their wins all season, and the committee basically was, you know, saying, "Hey, you've you've got to not only win your game, but you've got to look at least competent while doing it." And eventually, you know, a lot of us expected Oklahoma to, to possibly slip up and lose a game, and and that just happened to be what took place uh, this past Saturday in Waco. But Oklahoma again, you know was in this game. They it wasn't like they were blown out. You know, they weren't in Texas A&M's position like where they were down by 15 at the half. This was a tight ball game tied at the half, you know, a one position game going into the fourth quarter and then Baylor just ex- exerted their will on Oklahoma down the stretch. There was just nothing Oklahoma could do. Uh, didn't have a great day 
on on offense. Caleb Williams threw two picks, uh, only 146 yards passing. Uh, it just uh, and I think actually Spencer Rattler might have gotten some some playing time in this game. I think Williams might have uh, been on the bench for for part of this game. I didn't have a chance to watch this game uh, too closely, but I, I believe I saw that somewhere. It might have been on Twitter. Uh, but it's a, it's a you know big win for Baylor, right? This breaks a 17-game winning streak for Oklahoma, and you know it's a it's a big win for the Bears and their program. Um, you know, it was the longest winning streak uh, in the country at the time. That 17-game winning streak, and uh, and you know, big confidence boost for the Baylor Bears, uh, especially on defense. Right again, holding Oklahoma to just 260 total yards, which actually found a statistic here. That's the fewest ever under. Lincoln Riley. So Oklahoma held to their fewest yard total ever under Lincoln Riley in his five seasons as head coach and the two seasons where he was offensive coordinator before that. That's tremendous. That is tremendous. It's the fewest total yards for Oklahoma in at least seven years. And it was their fewest points in a regular season game since... A loss to Baylor back in 2014, a 48-14 loss at home, which obviously was a few weeks before they ended that season with a 40-6 loss to Clemson in the bowl game uh, that those two matched up against later that season. So it wasn't a great year for them in 2014. We'll see how things shape out in 2021. Also, a pretty interesting statistic here. This was Oklahoma's first loss in November under Lincoln Riley. And that right there, that might be the most amazing statistic of all because it speaks to how well Oklahoma typically executes down the stretch. Like they have that, you know, November mentality. A lot of teams like Clemson, they call it championship mentality in, in, in November, and obviously wanting to play for championships, whether it's a state championship, an ACC championship. Uh, you know, you're setting yourself up for postseason success. Now, that doesn't really apply to Clemson this year, but it's the same concept that all these schools sort of take and run with. So the fact that this is Oklahoma's first loss in November under Riley, is a, it's, a, it's a pretty big deal. That's a pretty big deal. Five years he's now been the head coach and the head guy at Oklahoma and, you know, you, you got to think this is a huge setback for the Sooners. Not just college football playoff, um, but, you know, with how they've played this season and the inconsistency we've seen, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a little bit of a hangover in, in the following weeks for the Sooners. Again, not a great offensive performance for Oklahoma. They've had a lot of issues uh, with quarterback this season, a lot of inconsistent quarterback play, and... You know they're going to have to figure some things out. One of the one of the things that I did see at the end of this matchup, some controversy around the the decision to kick a field goal. Baylor uh, they called a timeout with I think it was three seconds left, and fans at that point had already started rushing the field. Like fans were already on the field when Baylor chose to call this timeout because I think both Oklahoma like Oklahoma's personnel was like okay we need to get our guys to the locker room. 
And Baylor, some of their players were already celebrating with students and with fans that had stormed the field. And Armada called a timeout, which Riley was not thrilled about. There were some, some clips I've seen online of Riley really heated. And it was, you know, and, and one of them was, was voiced by Gus Johnson. And he basically was saying, you know, Riley needs to stop getting heated with the refs over the timeout. He needs to get heated with his offense's inability to move the football. So Gus didn't, uh, he didn't hold any punches there. But, yeah, the decision to kick the field goal, the way it was explained by Armada in his postgame press conference, is that it has something to do with the Big 12 tiebreaker rules. Uh, that's, that's what he said. There's some sort of point differential that gets looked at in the event of a tie. Uh, now, Raleigh did go on to say in his post-game press conference that he did not agree with that decision to kick the field goal. Uh, he said, there is a code of sportsmanship that I believe in, and I wouldn't have done that. So maybe a little bit of bad blood between Lincoln Riley and Dave Armada. I'm not sure. Maybe they've exchanged a phone call uh, since that game, you know, post-game to talk more about it. But, yeah, that was the only controversial thing I saw uh, at the, towards the end of this matchup. Uh, again, though, takeaways from this game, Oklahoma still controls their path to get to the Big 12 championship and win their seventh consecutive conference title, which would be a record. Obviously, Oklahoma and Clemson currently tied at six consecutive conference championships. That's most longest streak of all time. But getting back into the playoff for Oklahoma just got a lot trickier. Don't have notable victories. You know, you're already eighth in the rankings, and now you've lost uh, by a double-digit margin to you know a team that's, yes, ranked, and yes, in the conversation for a top 15, top 20 spot, but still not doing yourself any favors. And for Baylor, this is a signature win. This is the first, I would say, signature victory in the two seasons under Dave Aranda for the Baylor Bears. It was a great defensive performance down the stretch, which obviously Aranda, he was the defensive coordinator at LSU, you know, for their national championship season two, two years ago, which that feels like an eternity, right? That LSU's national championship, like Coach O and Joe Burrow at LSU, that feels like a decade ago. That That is... Is it, that is pre-COVID. That is pre-COVID. That's how that's how long ago that was. Uh, and now LSU has, you know, back into the, um, the the seas of mediocrity, right? You know, with Coach O basically um, agreeing to not come back the following season. Um, so yeah, this is a huge win for Baylor. A signature win. Uh, it was a big rebound for them defensively. Obviously, the week prior, that loss to TCU, they gave up 531 total yards. So I think it's a good win for for Baylor. And, you know, they they broke Oklahoma's 17-game winning streak. That was the longest for the Sooners since 20 in a row in 2000 to 2001 that included their last national championship. The Sooners had won 23 consecutive November games. 11 of those against top 25 opponents, all since 2014. And Oklahoma had also scored at least 30 points in 35 consecutive true road games. 
which is the longest streak in the country since 1980. It's a big game. Big game with big implications uh, for Baylor and Oklahoma. Um, so you got to credit the Baylor Bears for getting it done, getting a marquee win for Dave Aranda, and we'll see how Oklahoma responds. It, it wouldn't surprise me um, if Oklahoma has a little bit of a hangover. They're, they're facing Iowa State uh, in their home finale, so we'll have to see how they perform at home uh, if they're able to rebound and get back on track. All right, let's take our last break of the show. We're going to come back and talk some ACC action. Wake Forest takes down rival NC State in a great game. I mean, it's a barn burner. You know, amazing game. We'll talk about it next, the implications for Wake Forest and the ACC. You don't want to miss it. Welcome back to AFR, last segment of this episode of After Further Review. Got a little ACC action to talk about to wrap up uh, this show. Wake Forest and NC State squared off in Winston-Salem Saturday night in a thrilling game. A absolutely thrilling game that was back and forth, um, full of excitement. I mean, this is one of the best ACC games that I've watched in a long, long time. This was a phenomenal game that really, I think, was a battle for the best team in the ACC, right? Because, you know, Pitt and everything they've done this season aside, I, I, the, the winner of the ACC will come from the Atlantic. And it was either going to be Wake Forest or NC State. And this game was largely going to dis- determine who was going to represent that division in the ACC championship game. Now, there's always a chance that Pitt could find a way to you know, win in Charlotte in December, but if I was a betting man, I'd be t- I'd be picking either the Demon Deacons or the Wolfpack. And this game did not disappoint in drama and suspense. Uh, it was back and forth all night long. Um, you know, yes, that some of the plays weren't clean. Like Wake Forest, they had several drops, uh, some off-target throws, some mistakes, um, but. They took a huge step, Wake Forest took a huge step towards locking up that ACC division title. And that's what, you know, that was the goal really for this game was just find a way to survive and advance and live to fight another day. Um, huge win for Wake Forest, which now they've improved to 9-1. and one. Uh, and you know you, you break this game down and and how back and forth it was um, again some sloppy play at times right six total turnovers three for either team um, you know Hartman for for Wake Forest threw three picks so not a great night for him and Leary for the Wolfpack he had two picks of his own but through all those mistakes. We still saw a very entertaining football game. Uh, you know, both teams able to move the ball pretty well, over 400 yards of offense for each team. A lot of touchdowns, you know, especially in that uh, in that first half. I mean, we saw NC State come right out of the gate, march down the field, six plays, 67 yards, kick that field goal. Wake answers with a six play, 68 yard drive, and you know. 
just under two minutes. Uh, NC State then gets the ball, goes 10 plays, 43 yards. Like a lot of these drives were 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 long. The length of the field. I mean, 10 plays, 75 yards. Uh, five plays, 58 yards. 12 plays, 75 yards. Eight plays, 46 yards. Seven plays, 50 yards. 13 plays, 75 yards. So these offenses were able to move the ball pretty effectively. And, and even with the mistakes that we saw on offense and the five total interceptions thrown by quarterbacks, the offenses still found a way to move down the field and score some points. But what really, I think, did did it in for NC State was when Wake Forest got the ball uh, with about seven and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter and took six, six and a half minutes off the clock. Six and a half minutes off the clock. Because um, at that point, it's a, it's a 38 to 35 game, right? NC State had tied it up with 8.07 left. So it's a three-point game. And Wake Forest gets the ball. And yeah, NC State can afford to give up a few first downs, right? Wake Forest, maybe they could move, get in field goal range, kick a field goal, be up by six. But they proceed to go 13 plays, 75 yards in six minutes, six minutes and 20 seconds, which runs the clock all the way down to under two minutes. Under two minutes. And they obviously scored the touchdown to go up. 30, the goal, excuse me, 45-35. So it's a 10-point lead now. But NC State, in just over a minute, goes the length of the field in 10 plays, 75 yards to score their own touchdown, and then failed the uh, subsequent onside kick that they would have needed to recover in order to have a chance to win that game. So again, back and forth all night long. Extremely entertaining ACC game to watch. Now it sets up a big-time matchup between Wake Forest and Clemson this Saturday. Clemson right now has actually, this may surprise you, they're second in the ACC uh, Atlantic. They are second right now in the Atlantic behind Wake Forest. Wake Forest 6-0 in conference play, even though Wake Forest, and we talked about that on last week's show, even though Wake Forest lost to UNC, it was not a conference game because those teams agreed to schedule one another to continue their rivalry, even though the ACC did not allow those schools to designate one another their cross-division rival. There's protected rivalries in the ACC, and Wake Forest and UNC wanted to play each other because they're rivals, and the ACC wasn't, or it couldn't be done through their through scheduling. So those two schools decided we're going to use one of our non-conference slots to play one another. I, I got no problem with that. Like, I think that's fine if that's what you want to do and that's what you want to spend a non-conference slot on. So it does not count as a conference loss for Wake Forest. So they are still undefeated in conference play technically. It's 6-0, and and Clemson is sitting behind them at 5-2. and Now, what would need to happen for Clemson to advance into the ACC championship game obviously would be they need to beat Wake Forest, right? So Clemson needs to beat Wake Forest to finish 6-2 and in conference play. Wake Forest would need to drop their final two games. They play at Clemson 
and then they will host, or I'm sorry, they, they travel to Boston College. So two, they're going to finish with two road games, two pretty tricky road games. Boston College is a 6-4 and four football team that is, is sneaky good. I mean, they may uh, not be um, competitive with you know, a lot of other schools and other Power 5 conferences, but in the ACC specifically, Boston College can be a threat. The, the Eagles are always a threat, and traveling to Chestnut Hill late November is not a fun time. Like, I wouldn't want to go up to, to Massachusetts and play a football game in the middle of November. That does not sound like a, a way that I'd want to end my regular season if I'm Wake Forest. So if the Demon Deacons aren't, aren't careful here, if they're not careful and they drop that game to Clemson, all of a sudden, you know, Clemson will be done, right? They, they'll have played their eight conference games and they'll have their matchup against South Carolina to wrap up their season. It won't matter at that point if Clemson wins or loses to South Carolina. But if Wake Forest were to lose to Boston College, you would have both Clemson and Wake Forest finish 6-2 and two in conference play which means Clemson gets the nod since they'd have the tie break over Wake Forest. I mean, that's a, that's a big if scenario. But it's not, it's not as outlandish as it might have seemed a few weeks ago where Clemson basically needed this team to lose and that team had to win and this team had to lose that team. And then, you know, there was so much up in the air that it was almost like, what's, it's not going to happen. And I still, I'm still not entirely sold. I think right now, you know, Wake Forest would probably beat Clemson, even though that game is at Death Valley. Now, Clemson continues to find ways to win at home, right? They have like a, it was a 33 or 34 home game winning streak, which is by far the longest in the nation. Like, it's it's ridiculous. It's been since 2016 Pitt. The Tigers have not lost a home game since Pitt in 2016. That was like a last-second field goal. It's, it's insane. So if Clemson does find a way to win that game Saturday, Wake Forest will have to beat Boston College to advance to the ACC championship, which you got to think after the season they've had and how you know, well they've played, that would be very disappointing to not win their division, certainly, right? I mean, you, you go from, from starting 8-0 to finishing nine and three, you know that that would really do a big blow. That'd be it would be a very big blow um, for for the Demon Deacons uh, and with with the way that they started and, and the momentum they've had all season long. Certainly, they showcase some nerves, right? This this game between Wake Forest and NC State showcased a lot of nerves. Both teams didn't look very comfortable at times. Uh, it was it was sort of a sloppy game, like we've talked about, but it was still entertaining. The entertainment value was there, um, you know. And in terms of, of ACC right now, it was a pretty pretty good game. I mean, you know, I, I don't think that either of these teams would compete with the other top teams in the different Power Five conferences around the country, right? I think I think Penn State or Baylor or Oklahoma State or Notre Dame or Oregon, I think they trounce these two teams. I think they I think they trounce them. But this game was the battle for who's the best in the ACC, and that proved to be Wake Forest on Saturday night. And it really came down to that, again, that drive towards the end of the game 
13 plays, 75 yards, six and a half minutes off the clock. That is how you ice a football game. And listen, you know, I mean, even the coaches and the players after the game said it wasn't a pretty game. A lot of mistakes, not very happy about it, but pulled it out. And that's all that matters at the end of the day. And that's exactly right. That is all you have to worry about uh, for for getting to, you know, getting the job done. It's just can you win the game? Can you survive and advance? That's the mentality you have to have in November. Uh, so for NC State, this really adds to a lot of frustrations for the Wolfpack. You know, they're seven and three, which isn't isn't bad, but probably not where they'd like to be at this point in the season. Um, and they've had a lot of issues in Winston-Salem. Right? They, they've had some bad, bad luck. State has fallen for the ninth time in 10 games since 2001. Like, that's, that's crazy. They have only won in Winston-Salem once since 2001. And think about all the quarterbacks NC State has had during that span. Phillip Rivers, Russell Wilson, Mike Glennon, Ryan Finley. NFL caliber guys, champion, Super Bowl winning quarterbacks. And the Wolfpack just, they can't find a way to beat Wake Forest in, in Winston-Salem. Like it just, it just can't happen for the Wolfpack for some particular reason. This one's going to hurt though. This one will hurt, I think, a lot worse than some of those others. Uh, you know, obviously they knew what was at stake and what they could accomplish if they were to win this game. But, you know, it's, it's ultimately um, it's too late now, and there's nothing that they're able to do about it except try and rebound. So, you know, we'll have to see how both of these teams play uh, the rest of their schedule. NC State is going to play host to Syracuse on Saturday, and Wake Forest, again, will travel to Clemson, and they're going to try and play beat Clemson for the first time since 2008 and what would be their first win in Death Valley since 1998. It's been a long time. I, I was barely born the last time. Well, yeah, a year, what, a year and a half since Wake Forest has beaten Clemson in Death Valley. So, you know who's playing like the better team right now? I think it's I think it's Wake Forest. I, I watched the Clemson game this weekend against UConn. Obviously, that <laughs> that opening kickoff return for a touchdown was sort of jaw dropping. I, I you know I, I had several people I knew that attended that game and they just said it was like everyone was dumbstruck. Like what what just happened? What just happened? You know because everybody was hype and excited and they did the military flyover is. Ipte Military Appreciation Day, and and then they take the opening kickback for six, and I, I yeah, I got to be honest, I my jaw would have hit the ground if I was there to witness that live, uh, but we'll see, we'll see how the matchup goes between Clemson and Wake Forest. Before we wrap up this episode, though, let's let's talk about a few other uh, games around the top twenty-five. A little little quick top twenty-five scoreboard and then we'll also send you off with my updated top four teams but first let's get to the top 25 scoreboard let's do it and here we go so first up 
Thursday, North Carolina played number 21 Pittsburgh. The Panthers found a way to win 30-23 over the Tar Heels, improved to 8-2 overall. Kenny Pickett had a pretty impressive performance through three touchdowns, almost 350 yards passing, uh, but they you know, had to fend off a pretty furious comeback from UNC. Not a very impressive performance by Pitt, if I'm being honest, but they found a way to get it done. On Friday, Cincinnati, the fifth-rate Bearcats, took on South Florida, won in decisive fashion, 45-28. Cincinnati continues to impress me. They continue to look like a top-four team, and anybody who can still look at this Bearcat team and say, yeah, they don't deserve to be in the playoff with the fact that they're 10-0, I mean, they're just... I, I like I don't understand. There's no logic to that argument. Any 10 and 0 football team should be in the top four right now. There is absolutely no excuse to not have a 10 and 0 football team in the top four. Uh, and if the committee refuses to put them in their top four on Tuesday, I, then you know people are just going to continue to um, lose faith in that system and hurl accusations of bias uh, against. Group of five opponents, which, you know, that's why we're seeing Cincinnati move to the Big 12. All right, uh, let's get to some Saturday games. We've talked about Texas A&M's loss to Ole Miss. Let's talk about Georgia's win over Tennessee. The Bulldogs did allow the most points by an opponent this season, 17 points. Tennessee scored 17 points. Did have a touchdown in garbage time, so really it was a 10-point game, but... For, for the uh, Volunteers, but still, Bulldogs dominated at home, 41-17. They remain perfect and rout the Vols. Alabama returned to form against New Mexico State. Big, big surprise there. Um, with a huge home win, 59-3 over the Aggies. Uh, Bryce Young threw five touchdowns and padded his stats for his Heisman hopeful campaign. I'm continuing to see Bryce Young's name get mentioned for the Heisman. I'm not sure why, but I think it's something to do with his Crimson Tide jersey. Moving on, let's talk about Oregon and Washington State. This was a late game. Oregon uh, came out uh, pretty you know, hot early and maintained the lead for the rest of the night, locked up a 38-24 win over the Cougars. Ohio State looked very impressive in their performance against Purdue, and they took down a Purdue team that's been a a thorn in the side of many teams this season, obviously beating uh, Iowa and Michigan State, but the Buckeyes took care of business 59-31. Stroud had five touchdown passes, and Ohio State really kind of fixed some of their inconsistency that we'd seen on offense these past two weeks. Really interesting game here, Michigan and Penn State. This was a close back-and-forth game, slow at times, but ultimately went in favor of the Wolverines. Michigan wins 21-17. Michigan State gets a nice win against Maryland at home, a 40-21 victory for the Spartans. Uh, They improved to 9-1, and and, obviously are hoping that they can still maybe sneak their way back into some sort of playoff discussion. Right now, sitting uh, at 7th in the playoff rankings, we'll see where they are with the new rankings come out later this week. 
We talked about that Oklahoma loss to Baylor on the road. Let's talk about Notre Dame beating Virginia decisively 28-3. This one never felt close. The Cavaliers kicked the field goal late in the fourth quarter and yeah, it was shut, you know, shut down by Notre Dame all all day long. Honestly, Notre Dame has really sort of bounced back after their loss to Cincinnati at home. The Fighting Irish have cleaned things up and they've looked really solid. A, a pretty good 9 and 1 right now. Oklahoma State 10th ranked Cowboys beat down TCU 63-17. This was a drubbing, uh, a complete domination uh, by Mike Gundy and the Oklahoma State Cowboys over the Horned Frogs. was never close. Big win for Oklahoma State. We've mentioned the NC State game uh, and Wake Forest, that big ACC matchup where the Demon Deacons came out on top. Let's talk Mississippi State taking on number 17, Auburn. This was a uh, upset, obviously, with the Tigers falling 34 to 43 to Mississippi State. Mike Leach has got some things going the right way down in Starkville. The Bulldogs six and four on the season. Auburn drops to a very disappointing six and four. They still could play spoiler to Alabama. I know that Alabama is, you know, certainly more consistent. Um, more um, well-rounded and better coached team, but Auburn always finds a way to play spoiler to Alabama's aspirations. We'll see if that's the case in a couple of weeks. This was not a good loss for the Tigers. Northwestern and Wisconsin, the number 18 Badgers, have looked impressive after their 1-3 start. They're now 7-3 with a win 35-7 over the Wildcats. Iowa taking on Minnesota, the 20th-ranked Hawkeyes. Sort of get the offense back moving a little bit. Um, you know, it wasn't the best day. It wasn't a career day, but 27 points was enough to win the matchup of the Golden Gophers, a 27-22 victory for Iowa. San Diego State, if you stayed up late to watch this one, San Diego State took on Nevada, a little Mountain West action, and the Aztecs won 23-21. Close game. San Diego State stopped Nevada on the final drive to seal the victory. So, hey, sometimes those late Mountain West games, they're exciting. You should definitely tune in when you can. UT San Antonio remains undefeated. Now one of three undefeated 10-0 teams in college football with a 27-17 win over Southern Miss. Utah and Arizona clashed the 24-ranked Utah Utes. Uh, win 38-29 to 29 over the Wildcats. Arizona has, has really become awful. They are 1-9 and nine and the complete bottom of the Pac-12. So the fact that this game was as close as it was was a bit surprising. And then finally, Arkansas beats LSU in Baton Rouge. The Tigers lose 13-16. This was a pretty close win. And the game-winning field goal for Sam Pittman and the Arkansas Razorbacks was what got them the victory in Death Valley. Uh, it was a you know, close game all night long, uh, but ultimately the Razorbacks got it done in overtime and found a way to win. So yeah, that's our, our top 25 rundown where we looked at all the results uh, of games where top 25 teams played and 
Now, to wrap up the show, a few minutes left, I'll, I'll give you an update on my top four after week 11. Not a lot of changes. Uh, number one, I've got Georgia. The Georgia Bulldogs, they played extremely well against Tennessee. Consistently dominant. Yes, they allowed 17 points, which is the most they've allowed this season. But the Bulldogs are clear number one. At two, I've got Cincinnati. The Bearcats are starting to get more consistent on offense and defense and been playing better down the stretch, frankly, for a full 60 minutes. They're a 10-0 football team, and you have to give them the benefit of the doubt. They've played uh, bigger games and have more impressive wins than teams like Oklahoma, who were also undefeated but weren't getting a lot of respect. So uh, Cincinnati, second team in the country. I don't, I don't know how you would not have them at least in your top four. Number three, it's Alabama. The Crimson Tide have rebounded on offense. Bryce Young has looked more comfortable at quarterback uh, the past couple of weeks, and I'm starting to see that typical November look from the Crimson Tide. And at four, I've got Ohio State. They've cleaned up some of their inconsistencies on offense. They had a great performance this past week, and I think right now Ohio State um, would, if they were to rematch against Oregon today, I think they'd beat the Ducks. I know that there might be some people out there that say, hey, wait a minute, Oregon already beat Ohio State. Why aren't you factoring in the head-to-head? But I try to come at this with a, a fairly clean slate every week and judge teams based off how they've performed you know, this past week and, and also factor in what's happened this season. But I, I do think, ultimately, Ohio State's not going to lose a, a game through the conference championship, it wouldn't surprise me if Oregon uh, dropped a game uh, and and had two losses by the time all things are said and done. But either way, it's it's pretty close. It, it's it's that fourth spot is still sort of up in the air because I think you could certainly make a case that Oregon deserves that fourth spot. And if, and if they finish with one loss and are the Pac-12 champion, I think they'll probably get the nod over Ohio State because. Again, you're head-to-head. That stuff does matter to the committee, uh, but it's just I'm not, I'm not as confident the Ducks will go undefeated the rest of the way as I am about Ohio State. I've just seen better consistency from Ohio State the past couple of weeks, um, especially now on the offensive side of the ball. But, yes, I mean, just again, right now you got to think SEC champion is going to be Georgia. Uh, if Cincinnati is able to get you know, the next three games under their belt, they will certainly put themselves in a great position to get a playoff berth. Uh, Alabama's in trouble. Alabama's only option at this point is to beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. Two-loss Alabama ain't getting in. Two-loss Alabama is not that didn't win a conference championship is not going to get in over one lost conference champions or an undefeated group of five champions. It's just not, just not going to happen. I just don't think it's going to happen. Uh, Notre Dame is in trouble because they lost to Cincinnati. Ohio State's in trouble because they lost to Oregon. Right, Because Cincinnati and Oregon are still up there and are either undefeated or have one loss respectively, the ceiling for Ohio State and Notre Dame is five and six. Like They can't go any higher until... Cincinnati or Oregon were to lose a game, right? So that's that's sort of where things stand right now with the playoff. And then everybody below six is still kind of clawing and scratching, but realistically don't have much of a shot 
Um, and, uh, you know, did a big blow to um, the Big 12's chances uh, with Oklahoma's loss. Uh, Oklahoma State, though, has cracked, um, cracked the top 10, at least in the AP poll, and are now uh, sitting at ninth at 9-1. and one. But, uh, but, yeah, that's pretty much been it for this edition of After Further Review, recapping all the big Week 11 games and action. We'll have a show later this week where we preview Week 12, get you ready for all the big games there. The regular season's wrapping up. It won't be long until we're doing conference championship, little conference championship preview shows for the different uh, conference championships across the country. Excited to do those and talk bowl season and get into all that. So it's coming up quick. We'll have to see what the committee does with their rankings tomorrow night. We'll have some reaction to that with the podcast later this week. Until then, have a good one. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Jay Smith, and this has been After Further Review.